0: Good morning. morning. I was a pretty good student throughout college, even high school. I was definitely a nerd in seminary. I enjoyed it and wanted to keep up with the scholarship. So I was, I was blessed. I enjoyed it. But one thing I did not like in elementary and high school, for that was not the case uh, particularly in seminary, but In elementary through high school, I did not like true or false quizzes, the true and false kind of questions. For me to know that there was just a 50-50 chance of getting it right, which of course, with the lack of confidence, I would assume of getting it wrong, would just spike those nerves. I remember vividly how I would read what typically, again, elementary, middle, high school, so often true and false questions were rather brief statements. And yet I had to take so much time to maybe try to review the whole lesson in my head. And the nerves would grow or intensify, one, as the time was ticking, and I knew that the statement was mostly true, it was a matter of finding the one or short phrase that makes it false, often conjunction words, folks. The and, the and, the neither, either, both, or, those are the tricky little words that would make the true statement false. And it would drive me crazy when I would see how 80 or 90% of the whole thing was correct. But I had to find that one word and then call it an entirely false statement. I did not like true and false exercises. True and false exercises are so much about making the distinction between what is almost right to absolutely correct, or right. Almost right to absolutely true. Here's one reality, or truth in our midst. This is the second week of Advent. Advent means the expectation of an arrival. Something or someone has come. The arrival is near. The time has come. That's what Advent means. And we are to prepare ourselves inwardly we're to prepare ourselves spiritually, emotionally, relationally. But with one clear purpose in mind for the marking of the coming of God's incarnation, Emmanuel, God with us, the Savior, the birth of Jesus, our Lord. That is the significance of Christmas. That's the reality. I'm going to share with you another reality also to be true in this particular season. It is a time, myself included, that there is perhaps traveling arrangements happening or about to happen. There, um, we can expect more cooking than the usual. We anticipate more gatherings than the usual, events, and, and a big one, we get ready and we are expecting gifting to make shopping sound nicer, sorry, gifting, receiving and gifting. That is true as well. And I want to invite you to reflect based in your personal realities, what you're seeing around you, what you're witnessing and watching on social media, on TV, just all around us, based on our calendars, based on our day-to-day, how is um, energy spent, if applicable to you, how the stress level may vary during this season. And based on our spending, what is true and what is false? In other words, I gave you two realities of this season. The significance of Christmas, I set it up first. And then I talked about the other reality about the gifting and the cooking, etc., Based on our calendars, based on our stress level, based on our spending, etc., which one is or should be or is almost Christmas? And which one is absolutely about Christ in Christmas? Which one are we leaning and, and turning our effort and attention most to? To the almost Christmas? or to the absolute significance of Christmas, which is Christ in Christmas. My hope for us today is that we remember a particular Advent story. I consider this, it's not just an Advent story, but it certainly is used at least annually in many of our churches as one of those Advent stories a story about expecting a special arrival, an incredible coming of something or someone. And before we read it, we are going to read over 20 verses, and that is a portion of over 85 verses. Luke chapter 1, verses 5 through 23. I hope that you take at least a few points of this story this morning and i encourage you to please remember to read the entire chapter before next sunday so let me set it up before we actually get to verse 5 through 23 of chapter 1 of the gospel of luke the main characters main characters is priest zechariah priest's wife elizabeth zechariah And Elizabeth are the parents of John the Baptist. John the Baptist becomes the one chosen by God to prepare the way for the Messiah, the one who baptized Jesus, the one who, the forerunner who came before Jesus. And until that day, that season, excuse me, when Jesus began his adult ministry, John the Baptist is considered the forerunner who prepares the way. Elizabeth is a daughter of a priest. Zechariah, I said, he was a priest, and he comes from a priestly lineage. So, back then, it was expected to prepare... Sons and daughters who came from that kind of inheritance to Mary. And we have one of those here. Zechariah is a priest and comes from that lineage. And so does Elizabeth, who comes from that heritage. So they are a power couple. They're a powerhouse. And they are considered a blessed union with incredible special privilege based on the titles and the inheritance that I just mentioned. Not only do they have the title based on their inheritance, they're actually good people. They're not just carrying the title. They are genuinely good, decent, honorable, respectable people. People love them. People follow them. Isn't it true that a human's character is best evaluated? I won't say completely, but I'll say best evaluated by their behavior. Their character is best evaluated by their behavior. Is that true? Sure. These folks, were role models. Their character aligned with their behavior and interchangeably. In other words, they were faithful and they were fruitful. They were blessed. However, they couldn't have children. They longed to be parents. They prepared in their faithfulness. They did everything right. They prayed for many years. They did what was right in the eyes of God and of the people. Blessed. And yet, they endured the reality of infertility. Infertility back then was considered a tragedy, a disgrace. It was even said to be a punishment from above. Something must have been done by them to not be given the gift of an offspring. And I believe we have come long ways from that Ideology, but I do recognize that that misconception continues to intrude people's lives today. So that's the setup. Main characters, a little bit of who they are, where they come from. Now let's go to verse 5 through 23. You ready? Here we go. In the days of King Herod of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah, who belonged to the priestly order of Abijah. His wife was a descendant of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. Both of them were righteous before God, living blamelessly according to all the commandments and regulations of the Lord. But They had no children because Elizabeth was barren. And both were getting on in years. Once when Zechariah was serving as priest before God and his section was on duty, he was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to enter the sanctuary of the Lord and offer incense. Now at that time of the incense offering, the whole assembly of the people was praying outside. Then there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was terrified and fear overwhelmed him. But the angel said to him, you ready for what the angel says to him? It's good stuff. He says, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. For here's the awesome part your prayer has been heard. Finally, your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you will name him John. There's more you will have joy and gladness and many will rejoice at john's birth for john will be great in the sight of the lord he must never drink wine or strong drink even before his birth he will be filled with the holy spirit john will turn many of the people of israel to the lord their god there's more with the spirit and power of elijah he will go before him to turn the hearts of parents to their children and the disobedience to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Let me take a break. That's a lot of great news, right? Well, check out what Mr. Zechariah says. Zechariah said to the angel, how will I know that this is so? How will I know this is so? Well, because my finite understanding reminds me, for I am an old man, and my wife is getting on in years. So the angel replied, well, I am Gabriel. Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. Hmm. I have been sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. But now, because you did not believe my words, which will, will be fulfilled in their time, you will become mute, unable to speak until the day these things occur. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondered at his delay in the sanctuary. When Zechariah did come out, he could not speak to them, and they realized that he had seen a vision in the sanctuary. Zechariah kept motioning to them and remained unable to speak. When his time of service was ended, he went to his home. Amen. Zechariah was working faithfully and fruitfully in the actual sanctuary like this, similar. He was in the space. He was in the setting. He was surrounded by all the offerings and incense, according to their custom, and according to that custom, people had to be situated in a different setting like ours. But he was literally in the setting and in the space, and he was faithful and he was fruitful. But, but in this particular moment, he did not really that's the key word he didn't really expect to experience. God's presence. Almost, but not absolutely. First question Have you ever felt like you are in the presence, you're in the setting, you're doing all these things, you're surrounded, you do the offering, you do the um, mark of the peace, you do all these things, and when things come out of nowhere, even if they're beautiful, we can't believe it's so. Because it's hard to actually believe it could happen. Almost, but not quite. Their lives here on earth as we know it was committed to God, but not perfect. They had hurts. They had one thing that really hurt them for many years. Infertility. One thing that we know of was missing in their household. There are gaps, there are fractures, there are frailty in our lives, there's infertility, literally speaking, in our midst and in, in, in metaphorical and in spiritual understanding of that word of that reality there is broken hearts there are many realities in our midst and consequently there is this risk when our hearts desires go up to the lord time and time again but they don't pan out the way we thought In the time we thought was best, our expectations can grow dull. And we may ask the, what I call, the Zechariah question. The more you long for something, the more I ask, the more I wait. The more incomplete it reminds me of my reality. The more likely and at risk I am of asking the Zechariah question. And that is the question that he stated in verse 18, which is, how will I know this is so? In other words, is it absolutely true that God loves me? Is it absolutely true that God loves you? Are you really sure that you are in God's hands? Are we really sure that it will be okay in the end? That's what that means. Are we really sure that God can, that God will, that God will take care of us? How will I know that it's going to be truly okay in the end. Similar, like a true and false exercise. Truly, really? you sure? And then in that question, how will I know this is so? I think one of the words that would be considered the trick word of that statement is the first one, it's the how. How, I'm not sure that needs to go there. I'm not sure that in many of my uh, incidents in life and potentially yours, I don't know that I can actually understand the how. So I get stuck in the first word, how. If we take out the word how out of that, And I make sure the syntax is correct. I am left with, I will know this to be so. Do you see the difference? Because here's the problem with the how. You ask me, how is this going to pan out? And I'm going to have to tell you the truth. I don't know. I don't know. We don't know, we have an idea, we have mind, we can have, um, there are certain kind of life circumstances that we can advise people exactly how things may pan out, sure, but ultimately in life, we don't actually know exactly, precisely, accurately, 100% how things will turn out. Let me remind you that you and I don't know exactly if tomorrow is going to be, correct? We don't know how. I don't know exactly how God's self is revealed in your life, but here's the big one. But may we believe God shows up. I don't know how, but God shows up. And then careful, I don't know why, but God loves us so. Do you truly believe that God shows up? Too often, when it happens, or how it happens, seems absurd. Like Zechariah, he was doing about what he's used to. He's been so used to praying, not expecting an answer. Then the neon signs come up called an angel Gabriel, and he just can't understand it. Because it's out of time, because it's absurd, or because it's utterly scary. Because it entails a risk, which I will give it a greater concept. It invites you to have faith. Hold on to faith. For faith is to believe in something that is yet to be seen. May we have absolute trust in God. I don't know how God is to answer your prayers, but may we believe God shows up and God answers prayers. May we prepare for our answers to be answered however God wants to answer. You got that? Can we... Give our best effort day after day. Can we, in other words, Advent language, can we prepare our lives? Prepare, many words you can use for that word is um, organize, practice, train, coach, arrange, prepare. Practice in your life what it's like to trust and commit that God will take care of it. I don't know how. Because of time, I will not read more of the story, but if you go to verse, not today, not this morning, but before next Sunday, when you read verse 24, it'll tell you through, it's over 80 verses, it will tell you what happens, which is so powerful. Let me just give you a teaser. Zechariah gets to speak again after the baby's born, after, and he speaks absolutely differently. In fact, he prophesies, which means he speaks about things that are yet to happen. (laughs) He now does like what the angel did for him. He speaks of what is yet to happen. You got to read the story about this John who's going to prepare the way for the Messiah. Are we absolutely committed to believe that Jesus is our peace? Are we absolutely committed? And I know it can be hard, which is why I use the, the verbs committed, strive, try, practice, prepare. Because I know it takes a whole lifetime. So decision, at least let's start with the decision. Are we committed to trust to strive to trust in God? Are we committed to believe that Jesus is our hope? Are we committed to believe that Jesus is our peace? Are we committed to believe that Jesus is our savior? Are we absolutely committed to this season preparing for not the gifting only, but the greatest story to be lived out by every single one of us? Are you committed this season to live out, to speak of the greatest story, and to behave in a way that tells everybody around you that you are clearly committed to the main greatest story of Christmas? Can we do that? We should be be driving differently for the rest of the month at least. For example, but all seriously, seriously, are we committed to bring to life the significance of Christmas? Can we see in the birth of a child God's continuing affirmation of hope for the world in which we live? This morning, as I begin to segue into the Sacrament of Communion. At the 11 o'clock service, we have two baptisms. So we are celebrating both sacraments today as a church. Wonder with me as you see the image of Ava and Leo. Wonder how committed mom and dad are to offer them the best possible life, right? They're committed, and as a church, we're committed to bless them, which is why they're not here in this hour. They're going to be here at 11, but they are part of this church, which includes you. Don't we find hope in children? Careful, if you think too much, then it gets scary, right? I know, I know. But, Isn't there something about a reminder of the birth of a child that brings us hope? Are we committed, church, to help those two? Leo is to what I say now to my left, and Ava is how I'm uh, motioning here to the right. And as I invite Pastor Rosias, as we prepare this time for you to come forward, Means of grace. Baptism and communion are means of grace. Are you absolutely sure that by receiving a piece of bread, dipping into the juice, signif- signifying the cup of salvation, are you absolutely sure that there's something divine of God's grace? offered through the elements of communion. I hope, I can only hope you are. Because sometimes a piece of bread dipped into the juice doesn't quite make sense considering what you are dealing with. Correct? I don't know how. But may we be absolutely committed to surrender, And place our trust in Jesus Christ. Come. Come and receive. Step forward. God is absolutely in our midst.